950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We appreciate you tuning in or streaming this morning. Today is Sunday, February 18th, 2018. I'm your host, Stephanie Zavan, and my guest today is Diane Burkholder. During this live show, we welcome your phone calls to 952-946-6205, emails to radio at minnesotaatheists.org, or questions on Twitter or Facebook under Atheists Talk. You can still reach us by email or social media if you're listening to the show later. Secular humanism in the U.S. has a reputation for largely addressing the concerns of middle-class white people. That reputation is currently being challenged by groups across the country, but perhaps nowhere more strongly than at the Secular Social Justice Conferences. In 2016 in Houston, and this year on April 7th in Washington, D.C., these conferences bring activists from the margins into the spotlight. As this year's conference describes itself, Secular Social Justice is a platform for activists of color to address the ravaging effects of systemic racism, sexism, heterosexism, trans antagonism, colonialism, and white supremacy through workshops, discussions, and coalition building. What does that mean in practical terms? This morning, we're joined by Kansas City activist and organizer Diane Burkholder. Diane is the co-chair of the American Humanist Association's LGBTQ Humanist Alliance and a speaker at both the 2016 and 2018 conferences. We'll talk this morning about what came out of last year's conference and what this year has in store. Good morning, Diane, and welcome to Atheist's Talk. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So before we get started on the conference themselves, let's talk about you just a little bit. How did you end up involved in atheist activism? Um, It happened per chance, uh, you know, like everything in life. Uh, When I was in my early 20s, I identified as agnostic. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm getting over a cold from a few weeks ago. Ah, me too. Um, We can cough together. (laughs) I'm going to try not to cough too much. Um, And I identified as agnostic. And then probably my mid to late 20s, I, you know, moved toward atheism. I wasn't raised religious or anything. Um, And I lived most of my adult life in in California. And in California, I didn't really have a need to seek out people that weren't religious. Just most of my friends weren't. And if they were, we didn't really talk about it. Um, And when I moved to Kansas City in uh, 2011, um, I had partially grown up in South Dakota, so I came back to the Midwest. Um, I was really trying to find, in particular, um, communities of color. Um, And through that, I found a meetup group that at the time was the Black Atheists of Kansas City. We have since changed our name to the Freethinkers of Color. Um, And so I joined that group because not only was it hard for me to connect and find folk of color, particularly black people here in Kansas City, many that I did meet uh, immediately uh, asked uh, about my church home and then, you know, would give me funny looks, (laughs) if not, or would invite me to church. And so I was just feeling that there wasn't really a lot of space for folks that were not religious, particularly here in Kansas City. All right. That's how I got started. Excellent. Um, When we had Doug Wright on the show to talk about the 2016 Secular uh, Social Justice Conference, um, he mentioned that that conference followed on the heels of the Moving Social Justice Conference in Los Angeles, and before that, the African Americans for Humanism Conference in D.C., which I think was back in 2010, so this has been going on for a little while. Um, Was Secular Social Justice in 2016 your first conference in this line? It was. It was my first. Uh, conference that put both my non-belief and activism and then many other parts of my life together where I was speaking publicly on it on a more national scale. 
And I know you've been to other conferences in the movement, both before and since. What's the biggest difference that you find at Secular Social Justice? Mm, for me, it was it was a space where I could be unapologetically, and I think I always am, but I didn't have to explain myself walking into the door being a black queer woman. Um, I had attended, since being here in Kansas City, um, some local and regional non-belief conferences. And when I walked in the door, yeah, my, most people might not be religious, but I immediately, and this is what happens when you're a person of color, you, you always notice being the other. And so I would, you know, count the folks of color, and at large conferences, I would be one of maybe 10 people of color. Um, so secular social justice um, in uh, 2016, when it was at Rice University in Houston, um, most all of the panelists were folk of color, and I would guess, and I don't know the exact numbers, but at least half the attendees, probably more, were also folk of color. It was not something that I had to seek people out. I was already with community in many forms. And because this this question always comes up, whether we're running a, a conference for people of color or a conference um, that's focused around women, are white people welcome at Secular Social Justice? Uh, yeah, white people are welcome. I think, you know, just as, you know, um, secular spaces don't say absolutely no Christians or no religious people, just be respectful of the space. And so if a conference is not centered on that community and you are not a member, uh, it's, it's a centered on a community and you're not a part of that community, yes, you're welcome, but just be uh, aware of the space you might take up verbally or non-verbally. Um, but there's no point of uh, doing this work if we're going to have conversations in silos, and in order to dismantle these oppressive systems, we need members of those groups uh, that represent uh, oppressive groups. And so it, it takes, it's going to take all folks to um, do the work. And I run, uh, I'm one of the people who runs the Secular Women Work conferences, and we tell people the same thing. As long as you're willing to listen and learn um, yes. from women, or in this case, people of color, you're perfectly welcome. Uh, yes. So, aside from being a place where you can feel um, at home and, and not always on the defensive, what is the need within the secular movement for conferences like Secular Social Justice? Well, I think, I mean, I think this is part of a national conversation, secular or otherwise. Um, folks have really, you know, it took the inauguration and uh, <laughs> presidency of, of Cheeto uh, to get into office for people, for a lot of people to really hit home that, you know, our country is in dire crisis. I think so, however, for many marginalized folks from marginalized communities, we've known that for centuries. Um, particularly for the secular community, um, I think the conversations of social justice, they've kind of are, have been in conferences. I mean, that's what a lot of secular activism is. It's social justice in and of itself. However, when you look at the topics, Yes, they are social justice-minded, but you look at who's doing the discussion, who's leading the panel, who is doing the planning, who's doing the lobbying or, or um, advocacy uh, with policymakers or things like that, and more times than not, it looks like a very narrow view of the actual secular community. Um, and so particularly for secular social justice, 
and other conferences that I think are popping up that are, are social justice-minded, I think we're getting to the root issue is that in order to have these conversations, we need to talk about the issues beyond secularism. Secularism, yes, is a great thing to mobilize about, but for so many people, uh, particularly folks in marginalized communities, we're fighting for a bunch of other things. And what does it look like to be involved in our communities beyond just fighting for secular values? Um, the work that I do happens to be infused with secular values, but it is not the sole purpose of what I do. So I think these conferences are expanding a conversation that many folks have been having uh, otherwise in other communities or even in smaller groups. But I think people are finally waking up that kind of enough is enough. Um, that, that people need to mobilize beyond these very rigid, narrow views that most of us have actually been taught from religious dogma. So it's just kind of interesting how things play out within our community, how we are constantly unlearning and, and relearning tools. And you mentioned secularism as an important issue for um, the communities served by secular social justice. But even there, the the specific issues that you end up dealing with are, are a little bit different. Is that right? Um, yeah, I think, well, for, for secular social justice, many of us that, I mean, I think all of us that are, that are coming to and speaking at the conference um, are involved in advocacy efforts within our own lives beyond secularism. Um, and so there's going to be discussions about drug policy, um, uh, harm reduction, uh, what it means uh, for LGBTQ folk of color, what it means to be organizing specifically in communities of color. Um, we're going to be looking at more uh, nuanced conversations that are often add-ons onto um, larger secular conferences. It's going to be the sole focus and the centering of those discussions. Well, I'm also thinking in terms of um, the way that... Um, in large part, communities of color in this country have been uh, organized around religion for various historical mm -hmm. reasons. And, mm -hmm. for example, you know, we talk about people being able to or needing to be able to find a new home, perhaps mm -hmm. if they are um, non-religious. But that can be even a, a larger issue if you're dealing with a community of color, can't it? Uh, yeah, it can be. I think there are a lot of folk that are uh, not of dominant culture that might not have the word or the vernacular to say, I'm a free thinker or a skeptic or atheist. Um, and I think a lot of people actually stay within their religious communities or kind of affiliated with the religious communities. Just for the fact that at the end of the day, and we've seen you know secular spaces coming up, it's a space where you have some sense of security. Right. However, if you don't feel comfortable in that space, then where do you go? So I think, you know, this conversation isn't even just narrow discussions of, of atheists, because everybody identifies with atheists, but what it, does it mean to be uh, religious, but not super in, um, in religious institutions? All right. Um, and, to your and we point, will talk, actually, oh, a sorry. bit more about that when yeah. we come back from commercial. Okay. No, I wanted to answer your point when you were talking about um, Absolutely. kind of historical social moments that have been based particularly in churches. All right. Um, I think, Please stay with you know, us through the break, and we will return oh, to Atheist's ahead. Talk with our guest, Diane Burkholder. I'm Stephanie Zavan, and you're listening to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. No. Welcome back 
to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. This is Atheist's Talk, and I'm your host, Stephanie Zavan. For everyone listening live, immediately following this program, you can hear American Atheist Viewpoint, an official pro- excuse me, production from American Atheists. If you're listening later, you can still catch American Atheist Viewpoint by subscribing to the podcast version. This is a live show, and we welcome questions at 952-946-6205 or emailed to radio at minnesotaatheists.org. Find us on Twitter or Facebook under Atheists Talk. Today's guest is Diane Burkholder. Welcome back, Diane. When we Thank went to, commerci- to commercials, you were wanting to make a point uh, about historical forces tying communities of color to religious institutions. Uh, yeah, um, of course, the, uh, religious institutions have been historically an organizing tool because they've had masses of people, and I think folks still use religious organizations as a mobilizing tool, even if they're not very religious themselves. Um, I know some organizers that might or might not go to church, but they know there is power of organizing within faith institutions. Um and particularly, um, also, too, though, that the, the, I stand of the notion that it has been an organizing tool, but also there's a, kind of a myth that, uh, that you know, so many churches, particularly black churches, were involved in civil rights organizing. And, yes, there were a lot of churches involved in, um, you know, voter registration and other efforts and things like that, but there's also a lot of churches that... Um, did it engage in various types of activism and, and mobilizing and, you know, people think that, like, you know, so many churches were behind MLK, and there were actually a ton that weren't because the longer he was um, organizing, he became more and more radical, and folks started turning their back on him. So, you know, I, th- I think, you know, definitely religious institutions are a mobilizing tool, but I think a lot of folks have seen some limitations in that because there's a lot of safe, quote-unquote, advocacy that happens. Um, and so it's hard to sometimes move people into um, larger, broader, more radical things such as civil disobedience and things like that on a mass scale. So um, it's, it's not definitely doesn't happen in, in a monolith. So people try to figure out how to organize aside of those institutions in order to maybe push or say things that they feel like they can't say um, in their institutions. And I should make the point that when we are talking about people of color at Secular Social Justice, we are not just using that as a, a synonym for black people. Um, black people Correct. are doing a large amount of the, the work there, um, but other communities are uh, represented and sending activists as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, there, I think, you know, that, that that's a good point is that folks often think that, um, and this happens in uh, the black community too, is, is discussions of there's a difference between uh, black and brown communities or people of color and specifically talking about blackness or anti-blackness in other communities. And there often becomes erasure where one may be the activists that are called on to discuss um, things related to people of color end up being majority black. Or what also happens is that communities, Latinx folk, Asian Pacific Islander folk, um, you know, some indigenous people, I mostly see in the API and Latinx community, is having discussions of uh, what it means to be a person of color um, and kind of giving the space to be like, basically, if your folks and your ancestry is not from Europe in this country, um, folks are racialized otherwise as, as being uh, marginalized under the system of white supremacy. So really to expanding the conversation of what it means for many communities um, in, in the state. 
So when I um, read the description of this year's conference talking about working on systemic racism, sexism, heterosexism, trans antagonism, colonialism, white supremacy, these are really uh, large and very lasting issues, enough mm -hmm. so that a lot of people looking at them um, can feel that they're intractable and feel helpless. What are your mm -hmm. goals in taking them on at Secular Social Justice? Well, I think, you know, they might feel big and lofty to a lot of people, but I think secularism can feel big and lofty to a lot of people. It can feel very theoretical and heady and not actually looking at what it means to affect, affect people's um, hearts and minds. Um, and so folks that might feel that the topics are too big or might not apply to them, you know, like I said before, activism comes in many ways, and part of it is just learning how, how everybody is impacted, right? Like, I think we have this notion that if you are not a part of, com of a community that you are not impacted. You're affected, and you're going to be even more impacted when things trickle to your community. And so I think particularly the folks that are speaking at Secular Social Justice, we're involved in activism in many different facets, and we often talk about many different ways for people to engage. And so we understand that not everybody can be out in the streets, uh, you know, mobilizing and doing direct actions and protests, but people can call their local politicians, people can phone bank, um, people can donate money, people can agitate, particularly folks that are close to them, their, their friends, their coworkers, um, their loved ones. And so we talk about many different ways um, in, in order to engage and educate and push and start shifting the conversation. It's not always... Uh, thinking, we, we envision dismantling these large systems, but it's very real, tangible things that are often based on the really close personal relationship we have that have the biggest impact. And I think for a lot of people, it feels much more digestible when you're like, hey, here's some ways to talk to your relatives about this. Here's a ways to engage your local business owners uh, or your coworkers versus thinking that I have to go automatically out and, and do some advocacy with policymakers. All right. Um, I do actually in the next segment probably want to talk about some of the, the highlights of actually the programming from 2016. Uh, but since we're on this topic, are there um, things that you can you feel you can point to that came out of the last conference um, that that make activism easier or uh, basically what did you take away from the conference? Mm, I think a couple things that, that I took away, um, it was, like I said, my first, as far as I remember, my first uh, discussion that was my first panel that I participated in that everybody on the panel was both non-believing and a person of color. Um, and so I think it gave space and it gave a model um, for people to be able to recreate similar spaces. Um, within their own communities. Uh, you know, I, I facilitate the Kansas City Free Thinkers of Color and something we do locally, but a lot of folks, I think, that came to the conference didn't envision what it would look like when you are unapologetic about um, creating space for your own community. I think the other piece that, that came out to me, um, in particular, I'm thinking of, of uh, Regine, who's going to be speaking about drug, um, drug policy, um, at Secular Social Justice uh, 2018 coming up is that sh she's been an activist. Um, she does racial justice work. She's been doing this work for a long time, but she didn't have a space. Um, and, and, she, and she is 
said, said this also publicly, um, she hasn't, she didn't have a space to um, provide to also talk about being non-religious. And so I think it opened the door for people that have been doing work to, to bring into another community um, discussions that we have otherwise. Um, because, I, you know, like, <laughs> like so many communities, we end up hearing the same voices over and over again. And that is not the reality of our community. It shifts, it changes. And people need to hear new perspectives, and we need to make room for for new leadership. All right. And we will talk more about that after the commercials. Please stay with us through the break, and we will return to Atheist's Talk with our guest, Diane Burkholder. This is Stephanie Savan, and you're listening to AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Atheists Talk on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm your host, Stephanie Zavan. Atheists Talk is an unusual show. Very few places in the U.S. can someone randomly turn on commercial radio and hear a bunch of atheists talking about topics that interest them. Much of the work to keep us on the air is done by a dedicated group of volunteers, but we need your help, too. A big thanks to all of our donors and our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation to our radio fund, please visit minnesotaatheists.org. Or search for Atheists Talk on Patreon and sign up for exclusive content, like this one we're about to record with Diane. Atheists Talk is produced with funding from the Minnesota Atheists and Cucumbers Restaurant. If you'd like to advertise on this program, please contact us at radio at minnesotaatheists.org. The music for our show is composed by member Brent Michael Davidson, used with permission. Opinions expressed on this show are those of the speakers. You can find Minnesota Atheists' public policy positions at minnesotaatheists.org. While you're on the site, check out our previous shows, browse our articles to see what we're up to, check out our meetup calendar, or sign up for our weekly email to find out about upcoming events and connect with other atheists. And consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheists if you're not already. Support our work and help steer our future direction. If you have a question or comment on today's show, please call us at 952-946-6205, email to radio at minnesotaatheists.org, or find Atheists Talk on Twitter or Facebook. Diane Burkholder is talking with us this morning about the upcoming Secular Social Justice Conference, April 7th in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to the show. So, we were talking about... um, the 2016 conference and things that you took away from that. And, and you were talking a lot about possibilities and the, the, the possibility of, of even having these kinds of conversations. Um, were there specific uh, things that happened on the various stages, platforms um, at the, the conference that, um, that you would like to replicate other way, other places? Diane? All right. Um, well. Oh, no. Oh, I'm we got here. you. Excellent. <laughs> I finger hit a button. Uh, <laughs> yes, I did hear your question. All right. Uh, I think things that were, <clears throat> that happened specifically in the spaces, um, it was a, sometimes these conferences, um, and not all of them, but some of them are kind of large and it's hard to connect with one another. Um, since many of the sessions, although there were panels and lectures, they were very engaging and gave people opportunity for the audience members to get to know one another. I've been to a lot of secular conferences where there isn't space to build community, 
<clears throat> and where there's very little, or there might be one event, but you kind of have to go and network yourself and throw yourself out there. And I think that this conference in particular was really garnered spaces for people to connect to folks that they hadn't heard of before or people that lived in their region so they could connect when they go back home. I felt like more of that came out of this conference. I think people felt comfortable kind of putting themselves out there and meeting new people. Um, and I think an, another piece came out to it is that, <clears throat> you know, in some ways secular social justice, and I, I think it's been happening more across the movement, is folks are saying enough of an, is enough of the same um, tired, <laughs> can be tired, <laughs> um, kind of formatting that happens at conferences, um, the, the very, you know, talking to lecture style, just panels. Um, it's not really, they're expensive or they're inaccessible. Um, and I think people, or people feel like they're tokenized, like I'm only going to speak, people are going to ask me to speak because I happen to be brown. I don't get to speak about my issues and I happen to be brown. I'm speaking about what it is to be a person of color. Right. That looks very differently. And so I think people are coming, came out of the conference <clears throat> um, in particular saying that, you know, like the panel that I'm on was LGBTQ um, black folks. Um, in secularism and activism, and I think those com- those specific conversations are happening more and more. <laughs> yeah, I did notice when I was there that I couldn't think of another conference in the movement where they would have a big in the main room panel discussion where people ended up talking about the pros and cons of like armed revolution. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> not a kind of thing you're going to have happen. <laughs> Yeah, people were uh, pretty comfortable to share their beliefs, and I think um, in so many spaces you have to have developed an environment where people can feel comfortable to share um, beliefs that might not be with everybody else. Um, And it it, it takes a, you know, that's part of the planning and the programming, that it has to happen from those communities um, versus add-ons. I think, you know, non-religious people don't, you know, we feel some sort of way if we're religious, they want us to come speak to their church or to their organization. Like, it feels very, we feel very limited, and we feel like we could possibly become attacked or or things like that. And so um, because it was designed for and by marginalized folk, I think people felt very comfortable saying uh, saying things like talking about armed revolutions, you know, by any means necessary, um, and things like that. Um, And and for anybody who's listening who's interested in that session, I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. It was actually really fascinating um (laughs) so this april in dc april 7th you're having another conference what are you doing at this next secular social justice uh i will be co-presenting with ashton p woods who's the organizer of black lives matter chapter in houston texas um we are going to be chatting about um what it means to do (coughs) excuse me activism um, we're going to be doing a talk of what it means for folks to be involved in activism beyond just secular activism, um, giving folks tips about how to engage, um, but also the how to be unapologetic and not become a token. Um, I think, you know, this happens across many communities as we're often, we, we say yes a lot if we don't feel comfortable, and ways to be mindful um, about exerting our emotional energy our time, um, our resources to organizations and efforts that are really just here for the service 
um, because being in this work can be very exhausting, and so we're going to talk about that openly. Um, and we're not saying for people not to ever engage with folks, but be mindful that if you're engaging with people regarding your secular work or other work, how not to become used in that moment just so someone can have a checkbox that they spoke to you about something, um, what it means to really mobilize beyond just the talking point. Excellent. And what else is happening at the conference that you're excited about? Yeah, so there's going to be, <coughs> there's going to be, like you said, talks about um, uh, trans, trans antagonism. Um, and I wish I had the website right in front of me, so I can't name all of the speakers off the top of my head. My computer decided to look at me as a black screen this morning. Oh, no. Um, but I apologize for that. But um, there's going to be talks about what it means to do uh, lobbying um, specific for trans rights in a larger political scale. Um, there's going to be, like I said, Regine is going to be talking about um, the work that she does, um, specifically in Baltimore, uh, of drug um, drug reform and beyond drug reform, what it looks like to actually center um, people that are um, um, that use drugs that are deemed illegal by this country, what it means to actually center those needs and, and that marginalized folks. Um, there's going to be discussions of um, blackness and anti-blackness and mobilizing within black communities. Um, and I can't think of the other three people off the top of my head, so my apologies for not having that in front of me <laughs> to reference. Uh, well, actually, I'm pulling up the schedule now. Thank you. And I know, <laughs> and I looked a couple days ago, and a couple folks have been added. Um, so I haven't been core as far as getting people involved with it. Um, you know, other than, you know, my session, Sincere has been really the, the spearhead of doing that, and he was the social justice coordinator of the American Humanist Association. And I should actually take a little time to um, do just some some business regarding the, the uh, conference itself. Um, those of you who are interested in going, you can find the conference website at ssj2018.com. Um, I... I am registered. I will be there. Um, I find as somebody who uh, both books speakers and um, for conferences and for the radio show, it's hugely uh, useful for me to come to conferences like this because, as you say, there are people coming to these conferences and speaking who are doing amazing work who I, uh, in a relatively privileged place in the the secular movement would otherwise never hear of um, unless somebody else went and stepped up and said, I want to put you on my stage too. Um, so I do have the schedule in front of me. Um, looks you. like there is a session. Uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce the name because I was not prepared for this. Uh, Nazgul Gandnoush talking uh, about Black Lives Matter, eliminating racial inequality in the criminal justice system. Um, Victoria Rodriguez Roldan talking about queer intersectionality and uh, Juam Navarro Rivera uh, talking about immigration justice for humanists uh, which I believe is talking about how we can get more involved as humanists um, there is performance art right after uh, lunch uh, Gowri Kay who I believe is a poet if I recall correctly yes. uh, Rajani Gudlavaletti, Unlearning Nixon's Lies, Harm Reduction as a Strategy to End the War on Drugs. Um, I, I love that this is 
centered in in historical um, information as well because mm-hmm. so much of our activism is uh, very reactionary to what we see happening now and I think that can be very difficult um, some Q&A Candace Gorham talking about the school to prison pipeline and its effect on communities of color uh, Hari Ziad what are you abolishing do you know what that's exactly what that's about I don't. Okay. I wish I did. I'm excited to be part of their session. Uh, I, I read their work, and I haven't met them in person, so I'm excited for that. Um, and then Hari again with Whitney Shepard talking about the need to decolonize and get free. And that's actually a term that we've brought up, and we just have a little bit of time left. Um, can you briefly explain decolonization for our our audience? Yeah, decolonization... <laughs> Excuse me, is a term um, regarding and relate, relating to unlearning and dismantling um, uh, colonial ways, um, the ways in which um, white supremacy, uh, patriarchy, um, heterosexism, um, the ways in which those systems are centered and seen as better than and infused within our policies. Um, I do want to shape our, say, our language. Though, that, that decolonizing. Um, you know, I, I, a good friend of mine, indigenous uh, activist, uh, Tate Walker, uh, and I were at and the... And I'm actually going to ask you to save that for our extra because we okay. do need to close down this part of the show. Okay, so perfect. I would like to thank our audience for tuning in to Atheist's Talk. This is Stephanie Zavan, your host. Please join us again next Sunday. I'm proud to be on the air with Minnesota Atheists, and I hope that you appreciate the show. The show depends on the generous support of our members, our sponsors, and our donors. Please consider supporting the show through the donation link at minnesotaatheists.org or looking up Atheists Talk on Patreon and becoming our patron there. This is Atheists Talk on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. The podcast for the show will be on our radio page as soon as possible. And American Atheist's Viewpoint is coming up after the break. Have a great Sunday.